at some point we discussed colors mm -hmm. with a blind student. And I came into the classroom in English and I said, today is a white day. And a white day for me feels cold, snow is falling on my face and it's very slippery outside. Yeah. What's a yellow day for you? And then they describe a uh, sunny day uh, and the blind, blind student added purple. The, the concept behind it is a synesthesia, so you activate all other yeah, senses yeah. that you have. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. I'm Dan Gable, Technology Manager for the LRC. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. Mona Eichelpone joins our podcast to talk about language learning and disabilities and some strategies and considerations for creating inclusive classrooms. Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Today, we welcome Mona Eichelpohn in the studio. Dr. Eichelpohn is assistant teaching professor of German and German program coordinator at Syracuse University. We will talk about one of her research interests, which is language learning and disabilities. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Mona. Thank you for having me. Thank so, you. can you tell us a little bit about your own um, path with language learning? A little bit more about yourself so that our listeners yeah. know who you are and what you do. Yeah, well, my first language is German, hence the accent, but I don't want to get rid of because it's my trademark by now. <laughs> um, I learned English in middle and high school and then studied English and German literature in Germany at Ruhr Universität Bochum and then did my teacher's exam for English and German in Paderborn in Germany, mm -hmm. um, worked at schools in Hanover, Germany, and near in Southend-on-Sea in England, and in oh. the German school in Washington, D.C., where oh, I fun. taught German only, uh -huh. um, and then had time at my hand to do my Ph.D., mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, did my Ph.D. in German literature, focusing on um, translation of Uwe Jonsson's uh, Jahrestage. Okay. Um, but missed teaching and ended up teaching German as a foreign language, which turns out is exactly what I wanted to do okay. with my life. And in between, I did, um, I also studied um, theater or performance for high school, mm -hmm. and I tried to include that in my teaching and focus my research on that. Okay. But I never had the time for that, <laughs> not for that. It's always something yeah, else coming right, up that's... between yep. translation, um, disability, and mm -hmm. theater. So, so, um, how did your interest in language learning and disabilities, how did, how did that come about? Um, that's a good question. And <laughs> I, it, I didn't wake up one morning and think this is my new research, but yeah. I, um, a week before I got my contract at Syracuse University, I learned a week before classes started that I would have a student uh, with blindness. Hmm. And I thought, Okay, so that means no access to textbook, no access to PowerPoints, no access uh -huh, basically uh -huh. to everything we use on a daily basis, like writing words on the blackboard. Sure. And I freaked out and I asked myself, what do I do? And yeah. I contacted people in at the School for the Blind in Germany, in Marburg, and um, all kinds of sources I could come up with. But most of them said, well, no, we don't teach foreign languages because mm. it's too hard. Huh. And I thought that's unfair. Yeah, Because absolutely. just because you're blind, it doesn't mean that you, you're not able to speak. Why should you not be able to speak a foreign language? Yeah. That didn't yeah. make sense to me. Um, and the other thing was I knew I would have 
to work with the situation for the next semester or two sure. or even sure. more. Yeah. So if there was no research, why not collect everything I have and um, make the best out of it for everyone else who might come into mm -hmm. similar situations. Mm -hmm. And whenever I went to conferences and there was just the slightest mention of disability, I would say, how about blindness and how do you mm -hmm. deal with that? And usually people didn't have answers, but would ask the question would ask me their questions yeah, as if yeah. i were an expert which uh -huh. i really i wasn't and still am not yeah yeah but that's that's how it all started and that was a very exciting journey i would uh -huh. say uh -huh. a very humbling experience as well yeah so was it successful were you able was did the students stay in in your class how i i don't know how to define successful yeah, sure. the student yep. uh took two years Of German. Oh, wow. Okay. So, um, if you want to call that a success, yeah. yes. But all the trial and error that the poor student had to go through, <laughs> and all the the very creative teaching and failures and non-functioning things, yeah, I would not describe as success, but as a huge burden for huh. for the classes as a whole, for the student in particularly, and for me as well. Yeah. So. Um, I would say 50-50, okay. 50% success, 50%... Um, well, learning experience, right? Yeah, yeah. of course, yeah, that's why I'm here now, right? Because I can say I learned from that. But at the same time, um, in a later semester, I had a student with mental disability and all my fanciful methods um, <laughs> and um, ruminations didn't, didn't don't, don't hold for anything or are not yeah. even important. Yeah, yeah. So that's another thing to tap into uh -huh. yeah. well yeah and of course there are different disabilities that students may have yeah. and that will yeah have an impact on your on your teaching practices it, it had most of all the experience has an impact on how i see how i define disability i would say everybody's disabled in one way or another mm -hmm. it starts mm -hmm. with my aging eyes so then i need to <laughs> take off my glasses sure. to read which i find super annoying yeah and that's not even considered a disability it's yeah. just aging right to if students have a cold they don't hear well if oh. they cough all semester they cannot speak mm -hmm. that is nothing that needs diagnosis or is diagnosed and mm -hmm. um, reach going further to students who stutter students who have synesthesia so looking at a white sheet of paper huh. is yep. is a mm -hmm as a constraint for them, yep. disables them from reading what's on a sheet that's not on our screen sure. most of the time. Yeah, uh, so uh. disability is more than just the letter from the Office of Disability, mm -hmm. but it's it's everywhere. Yeah. And on certain days, we have more mm -hmm. or less disabilities. Mm -hmm. And um, switching my point of view and saying, this is just what everyone has, so we need um, structures and strategies that serve Not only the student with a letter, it's called letter of recommendation, the student with a... Yeah, at my previous institution, it was a visa, actually. Yeah, <laughs> not, not visa, what is it? Uh, accommodations, letter of accommodations. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, those students are, in inverted commas, certified yeah, yeah. for certain mm -hmm. accommodations yep. when most of the time 60% of the class needs some mm -hmm. form mm -hmm. of non-traditional... Yeah. strategies yeah. Yeah. and the teaching or methods that yeah. are not the usual one for example yesterday I had a student who forgot their glasses <laughs> and um, who's more of an introvert and definitely doesn't want to sit close to the screen because 
that's uh-huh. kind of embarrassing and would be squinting yeah, all yeah, the time. Yeah. I don't comment on that anymore. I just read out loud everything okay. a bit slower. So okay. that's one way to deal with it uh-huh. without yeah. much ado. Yeah. So what are your recommendations if some of our listeners, some of our colleagues, if there are students who who have this letter of accommodation, mm-hmm. right, where it is something that has been officially yeah. diagnosed, um, what are some of the resources? Where can they turn to? Where can they find out more information about what do I do in terms of... Yeah specifically for language teaching. Yeah. Number one, I would say the most important thing is time mm-hmm. because um, from my experience, not with the casual everyday life disabilities, but with the um, the ones that ha- um, need to be accommodated is time mm-hmm. is very important. If you learn that you have a student with disabilities in the second week of the semester, it might be too late uh-huh. because you planned your syllabus sure you might have planned all your materials you are so busy with your other classes and other obligations and uh-huh. work that um, you cannot devote a lot of time uh-huh. to modify your materials or your teaching style because it's already too late so knowing ahead so as uh-huh. soon as students enroll you should know uh-huh. at least six weeks ahead because it gives you time to do research if there's sure. a disability that nobody else on campus has ever dealt with. And the first people to contact is certainly the Office of Disabilities. Uh-huh. They have good resources, and if they don't have resources, they usually have the means to procure the uh-huh. resources. For example, in our case, um, we figured out since the blind student wasn't only blind, but on very bad day, um, he or she wasn't able to listen very, to hear very well. Uh-huh. Um, we transcribed most most PowerPoints that are used into Braille. But for, oh, wow. in order to do that, you need two or three days. Yeah. But for someone to do that, and that person needs to be um, trained in doing that. And that person also needs to know that American or English Braille is different from French Braille, is different from yeah. German Braille, yeah. has different, um, huh. I don't know if it's called symbols, but different yeah. different mm-hmm. elements. And that an umlaut, for example, the little mm-hmm. two dots on an A, um, you cannot just leave out all that spelling sure. in German. You ha- use capital letters for nouns, uh-huh. which you don't do in French or in English. Yeah. Um, need to be capitalized yeah, in the trans yeah, yeah, in yeah. the in the braille version. Oh interesting. So it's yeah. it's much more intricate than you would think yeah. and you need much more time. Yeah. Than you th- would think. Or for example, if you um would like to include the latest news that you heard on the radio in the morning and you mm-hmm. want to come to class and you want to show the corresponding newscast from the mm-hmm. country whose language you teach, um you need to keep in mind blind student cannot see what's going on on mm-hmm, screen mm-hmm. and not everything so since september 2018 there is a new rule at least for the german in the german speaking world that public tv has to add um audio description huh. to movies uh, oh, the same way there is sign language yeah, for, for yeah, news okay. that has been around forever so uh-huh. new movies on net even on netflix have that now so huh. You, for example, you li- you see somebody coming down the stairs, uh-huh. and the voice is, "A man is walking down the stairs. Uh-huh. He looks to the right." Okay. Um, and that is very helpful. I also figured out if I show a movie in class that uh-huh. has this audio description, I show it no matter if there's a blind student or not, because it means much more language. Oh, sure. To listen to sure. and much more vocabulary uh-huh. to learn. 
when they see a staircase means treppe in German mm -hmm. and they might not have known mm -hmm. that before. It's um, unusual for students, but they like it. Mm -hmm. Other resources, um, if you if you look for literature, either it's very rare mm -hmm. or it's very outdated. For mm. example, for blindness, there was one very good article with a lot of um, hints at technology, but mm -hmm. it's more than 10 years old. Okay. So that part of the article doesn't even apply. Anymore. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, and so you there are not a lot of resources. Yeah, that's yeah. the issue. Yeah, yeah. Um, you have an article coming out here I in do. Yeah. Uh, the AATG journal, the Unterrichtspraxis Teaching German, soon. So um, we'll make sure to provide a link to um, mm -hmm. to that publication once once that is out. Um, what about the student perspective? Do you have some pointers? So if there is a student, for example, a blind student, mm -hmm. what can you do to um, help the other students in the classroom to uh, to integrate that student, to help support mm -hmm. that student, maybe. Um, so as a German, I grew up in the German school system, and we didn't have any students with disabilities mm -hmm. because in the 80s and 90s there were separate schools for that, and that's about to be changing and becoming more inclusive right now. Um, but the experience here in the United States is that inclusion mm -hmm. is a given in the generations that are undergrad students. They know what yeah. inclusion is, but that doesn't mean they behave like inclusive students. Mm -hmm. um, the best thing is role modeling. Okay. The way, um, for example, uh, when you have a blind student in class, you need to to be able to say your chair is three meters to the right mm -hmm. and you can easily do that in German and what I learned very early is to tell direction by using the clock so I wouldn't say your chair is to the right but I would say your, your mm. chair is at three o'clock mm -hmm. and the other students would just model that and use the same or whenever there was group work I would the first two three weeks ask all the students to introduce themselves again mm -hmm. say their names out loud and yeah. clear um, and over time, the blind student was able to tell everyone just just by the hmm. way they would approach, okay. or just by by listen how they cuffed or mm -hmm. moved in class, or how they spoke, or how yeah. they started saying things. And he was a, he or she was able to address other mm -hmm. students mm -hmm. by name that mm -hmm. way. And I would um, all the time not point at students and say say something, or sure. if a student raised their arm, I would consciously use words, uh, use their names yeah. more often than. And I did before that. Mm -hmm. Now I keep doing that so all students know everyone um, as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, and another strategy um, that we started, so I use PowerPoints a lot and we brailed all of them for the blind mm -hmm. students so mm -hmm. he or she could, mm -hmm. could read along in class yeah. or read out loud. That worked really, really well with huh, German because nice. yeah. pronunciation and written word are so similar that yeah. you don't have to learn yeah. the pronunciation of every single word. So that was a great asset. Um, and I would go from PowerPoint to PowerPoint and say, now I'm moving to the next PowerPoint mm -hmm. and always make sure I read out everything that was on the PowerPoint, all instructions. Um, some days the student had a, a readable Braille display. Mm -hmm. That is, I don't know if people know what that is. It's this little machine that you see blind people with that um, brings up the dots so the blind person can feel, mm -hmm. feel the words. And in addition, he or she would have a laptop mm -hmm. with um, voiceover or JAWS yep. that would read out the words. However, if the material isn't prepared right, it reads 
the <laughs> wrong language with the wrong accent, which doesn't really help. Oh wow! Um, yeah. But the images you can um, you can tag the images mm -hmm. and add um, description yeah. to that, so he or she could could see the images. Uh -huh. Yeah. Or I would ask other students to describe mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what they saw. Especially the funniest thing is whenever I showed. Um, short video mm -hmm. I would ask um, we started with a music video um, I would invite all students to yell out loud what they saw in the video okay and um, the blind student would be able to have a concept mm -hmm. of what was going mm -hmm. on when there was no text yeah um, some literature says you can have another student sit next to the blind person and whisper into the ear mm -hmm. but um, my student decided that he or she didn't mm -hmm. like that at all because sure. it would just cause an additional, it, it, it would distinguish them from the other students mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. create more sound in the class. Mm -hmm. And they didn't like that at okay. all. Um, so that yeah. didn't happen. Yeah. So that didn't happen. So we did this out loud thing mm -hmm. and that's the funniest game ever. And it's a, <laughs> it's a big challenge. Um, I still do that in classes with no blind students. Okay. I paired two students up. One can see the screen, the other one cannot. And the mm -hmm. seeing one needs to describe okay. what's happening. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, um, it's a challenge. Interesting. Yeah. So one thing that um, stuck with me that you said earlier was that as educators, we kind of have to flip our thinking, right? And change mm -hmm. our approach to what is a disability and that really all of us bring some mm -hmm. kind of a disability um, mm -hmm. to the table here. Um, so if there is uh, one piece of advice um, other than, I mean, you already mentioned the biggest mm -hmm. element is time, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe keeping an open mind. But what else um, is the, the biggest thing to consider yeah. if we are faced with? Yeah, I call that, I, I think it's called multimodality. Um, Initially, when I started to work with a blind student in class, I thought, okay, seeing doesn't work, but the four skills, reading, writing, listening, and mm -hmm. speaking need to be addressed. How sure. do I do that if somebody is blind? How do I do that if somebody is deaf? Yeah. How do I do that when I had a student with partial blindness mm -hmm. or very nearsightedness? How do I address that on top of everything else? And I figured out if I present all materials in as many ways mm -hmm. as possible, for example, when I show a movie, I make sure the closed caption is on. Mm -hmm. I know some, especially I think in high school, German teachers think it's um, it's a sign of weakness if we put them on because mm -hmm. students read instead mm -hmm. of listening. Mm -hmm. Whereas I would argue it trains all, mm -hmm. it trains more skills. Yep, it it trains the seeing, it trains the hearing, yep. and it trains the reading. Mm -hmm. And there, there's no yep. um, drawback to that. Um, and I tried, so with all the methods I usually use, because I think we all have a big pool or toolkit of methods that we use mm -hmm. more often than others. So the ones I, I know I usually use most, I looked at what skills do these address? How can I add more skills mm -hmm. or um, modalities to yeah. them? Like, um, for instance, at some point we discussed colors mm -hmm. with a blind student. That mm. was a... Yeah, I thought, yeah, that's what I thought. I, that's not manageable, Yeah. but it was. It was a cold and snowy day. And I came into the classroom in English and I said, today is a white day. And a white day for me feels cold. Snow mm. is falling on my face and it's very slippery outside. Yeah. What's a yellow day for you? And then they described a uh -huh, sunny day uh -huh. and the blind, blind student added purple uh -huh. and um, told the class what purple 
meant for them? It meant for them, um, and this, it's, this, the, the concept behind this is synesthesia, so you activate all other yeah. senses that yeah. you have, and you get the concept. And yeah. that was such a revealing moment that just because you don't see doesn't mean you don't have a concept of sure. something. Sure, sure. Uh. So that was nice for the group as a whole. Um, yeah, multimodality. And um, if there are if there are um, methods I use that only address one mode, for example, seeing, yeah. then maybe I shouldn't use that mm. method mm -hmm. in the classroom yeah, or make point. sure yeah. that seeing... Uh, with my eyes can be replaced by reading in braille or mm -hmm, having at mm -hmm. least um, a source where I can listen mm -hmm, to. Mm -hmm. So that's the concept behind it. And the concept that is connected with that is universal design, um, which comes from architecture, mm -hmm. basically. And most people know one or two concepts already. Mm -hmm. For example, if you um, are at a curbstone, the, the curbstones are flattened and have these little yep. dots, so yep. blind people with their canes can, yep. can feel where the curbstone ends and don't have to fall down mm -hmm. a steep curbstone. Um, but it's called universal design because basically joggers and people with strollers and bikes, mm -hmm. everyone mm -hmm. benefits from sure. it, so that's the universality behind yep. it. And there are seven principles that I cannot talk about by heart. <laughs> <laughs> if I had my laptop, I could, yeah. could open them. Um, and if you try to see all your methods and materials from the perspective of universal uh -huh. design, you make everything more accessible. Uh -huh. And um, certain material becomes m or receives more value than you initially yeah. thought you would like this um, uh -huh. film, films and audio sure. descriptions that I mentioned. Yeah. Great. Wonderful. Well, I think you've given us a lot to think about. Um, definitely looking forward to seeing your article in print. I think that will be a good resource for people to start having something current, yeah. a current article on the topic. Um, so, Mona, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Yeah, and thank you again for having me. Absolutely. Next week, our media development manager, Sam Lupowitz, will speak with Andrew Campana. Dr. Campana is a Cornell Presidential Postdoctoral Fellow in Asian Studies and is currently working on a book on Japanese poetry across media. Andrew and Sam will talk about the intersection of poetry, gaming, new media, and language. Until then, auf Wiederhören! The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or look for Cornell LRC on Facebook and Twitter. Speaking of Language is produced by Sam Lupowitz and Dan Gable. Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners and do stay tuned for our next episode.